Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the program. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and we have an important show for you today. It's about domestic violence, and in particular, the impact of domestic violence on children. As so many people are living in silence and shame who are being battered by their partner, and they often don't leave until the batterer turns on the children. But what are the effects on the children of witnessing violence in their home, even when they themselves are not the direct victim? Would you recognize the signs or know what to do if a friend or loved one were being battered by their partner? Well, my guest today will help us answer those questions, and they are author and survivor of domestic violence, Felisa Jack, who's with me in person today here in the studio, and also by phone from the University of Virginia, clinical psychologist Dr. Antoinette Thomas, and we'll hear from both of them in just a moment. But first, Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, and SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education training and has the only program of its kind with an accredited CEU. To learn more about SSI Guardian, go to ssiguardian.com. Now, we're here every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain and online at drpegradio.com. But if you missed last week's episode or want to check out a previous episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. Well, first I'd like to introduce uh, Felisa Jack, and she's here with me in person today in the studio. Felisa Jack holds a certification in social work with a background in psychology, and she's the founder of Precious to Him Ministries, an outreach born from her deep desire to remind people that they are indeed valuable and precious to God. Felisa openly shares how the power of God delivered her from domestic violence, divorce, and substance abuse. And she's the author of the new book, Pursued, which is her testimony of living in a domestic violence relationship that put both her and her son's life in grave danger. And you'll hear her story today and some insights and lessons learned that she's passionate about sharing with others. Uh, Felisa Jacks, thanks so much for being here with me today, and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, thank you for being willing to share your story. I know it can't be easy to relive and recollect, um, but you really have a, a passion for sharing your story transparently to hopefully prevent others from having to go through what you went through. Absolutely. I think that there is um, such a stigma attached to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's frustrating and, and kind of amazing to me that we can have these commercials on TV where we show animals who are freezing in the cold and chained to trees and um, and pulling the heartstrings of people in regard to that. However, no one wants to look at the woman who has black eyes and a busted nose or anything like that. And and I think that it's it's high time, certainly, that we bring that to the forefront. It's happening. One in three women, one in four men have or are experiencing domestic violence mm -hmm. in their lifetimes. Yes. And you can look anywhere, I mean, at your job, at the store, and just count them out. Mm. 
One, two, three, there's one. Wow. One, two, three, there's one. So it's a very prevalent problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned there are also men who suffer because we do have this picture of domestic violence being a man battering a woman, and certainly that's probably more common. But we also have uh, even more in the shadows, even more in the dark, I imagine, would be the men who are victims. And our guest uh, who's with us by phone, Dr. Antoinette Thomas, will shed a little bit of light on that as well as we go through the story. Um, it, it's not an easy topic to talk about. And as you said, I think our, our, um, our kind of our consciousness of it, we kind of don't pay attention to it, probably because it's so painful. Um, Despite the fact that so many millions of women and children are uh, living with domestic violence, uh, and one reason you give in your book, Pursued, is that domestic violence creates shame and low self-esteem and mm -hmm. seeks to keep the woman bound or the victim bound. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Um, and part of that is is because of the silence surrounding it. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of, culturally, some of it has, um, have been taught that what happens in the home stays in the mm -hmm. home. And, and we don't share that with the outside. And that's created um, a prison, if you will, mm. for people who are going through it. And they don't feel like they have the ability to talk to anyone outside the home. And certainly no one inside the home mm -hmm. is, is really there to help when you're going through that situation. Yeah, so absolutely. it's very important um, that we get it out there, that people understand um, that the shame that surrounds that, it's it, high time that that was broken. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And well, in your book, Pursued, you define domestic violence as a pattern of behavior used to establish power and control over another person through fear and intimidation, often including the threat or use of violence. Uh, what did that pattern look like for you? That pattern for me um, was, was very subtle, um, which I believe it is for many. I mean, absolutely. If the first time or second time you went out with someone, they, they struck you or, or spoke to you harshly or um, cruelly, you would certainly give it a second thought about spending any more time with that person. So there's a, a trust that's created um, that the victim um, uh, feels like, you know, they, they can really believe what this person is telling them and that what they say and what they do has some weight and some value on their life when it really doesn't because ultimately it's always about power and control. Mm -hmm. um, it's never anything else. It's certainly not about love, um, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's always power and control. Even when, though sometimes the, the perpetrator will tell you, I'm doing this because I love you, or I get so upset because I love you so much, but you really want to make it clear it's absolutely about power and control and absolutely not love. Absolutely. I heard that so much. Um, and when you're in, especially in the newness of a relationship, um, you know, you're kind of riding high on those those love emotions. And so to have someone tell you how much they love you and, and, and really just dote on you and and spend all their time with you and make you feel like you're the center of their universe, that's a very attractive thing and it's a very attractive feeling, but it's a trap. Mm -hmm. And so in your relationship, it didn't start out as a violent relationship, as you said, that kind of would, for many people, would be kind of the deal breaker on right. the first date. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, describe how things were in the beginning, how you met, how things um, progressed. You described the relationship as a world, a whirlwind that it, it escalated um, very, very quickly, and was kind of this hyper romantic. Um, one quote used in the book was "sunshine and roses" in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it was. 
Um, I, I met him at a club. Um, I was going out with the girls and um, certainly not looking to meet anybody, just going out to have a nice time. Um, and noticed him and he noticed me. Um, he came over and introduced himself and, and he was very charming and he was very handsome and very well-spoken. Um, I'm not really quick to give my number out, but there was, there was a confidence about him that I, I liked. And so I gave him my number and um, and, and very quickly, um, we were talking every day, seeing each other uh, several times a week. And, um, and at, at some point, um, some months into it, um, he was at my house so much, he pretty much lived there. But prior to that, um, he would call and um, he would want to tuck me in, as he called it. And I would pick up the phone and there would be just a snippet from this love song that said exactly what he wanted to say. And then he would hang up. Mm-hmm. And so it was just all so romantic and uh, very whirlwindish. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, together. You know, we were, I remember one night we were looking at the stars, and I know it sounds really corny, but, you know, we were laying on the grass looking at the stars, and he's like, well, pick one out, you know, and, and that one's for you. You know, that's my gift to you. And just it was just very romantic. Mm-hmm. But all of that um, very suddenly changed out of nowhere the first incident occurred uh what happened we um were spending some time we were at the local bowling alley uh watching a game um just hanging out with some friends you know having some drinks and we left there i was right up the street from our apartment um and i tend to drive kind of fast (laughs) and so uh, i was speeding up the street and i kind of whipped into the the parking spot and he grabbed the dashboard and and he looked really scared and and he started yelling at me you know if you want to kill yourself you can but you're not going to kill me what is wrong with you driving like that and he slapped me and before that he'd never so much as even raised his voice at me so i was stunned that not only did he yell at me he he struck me and and he got out of the car and i i sat there for probably another five minutes just trying to absorb what had happened and really trying to rationalize it, if you will, because it wasn't congruent. It wasn't in sync with what I had been experiencing. And about how much time had gone by in the relationship so far? It had been probably just a little over a year. Wow. So that was a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of trust had been built. Mm -hmm. Trust and and falling in love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so how did he explain that and and what happened after that? Um, Once I went into the house, he he, of course, was very apologetic. Um, he went to hug me. He, you know, said that he didn't mean it. He was just afraid. I had scared him, and he just reacted out of that fear. He certainly didn't mean to hurt me. He absolutely didn't mean to strike me. Um, and that's that's easier to believe than the alternative. Right, right. Um, so you kind of just chalked that up to the explanation he gave you, took on face value. Um, but that wasn't the last time that that happened. No, it wasn't. Um, initially, the times that that happened um, were were not necessarily close together. They got closer together as time went on, which is, is pretty much the pattern. But once an, an incident would happen, then it became his sole focus mm. to reestablish my trust and my love and, and my assurance in the fact that he loved me so that I could rationalize what he was mm. saying as the truth. 
And, and really, you want to believe that. You know, you want to believe that the person that you've been spending all this time with, this person that you've come to know and love so much mm -hmm. over all of this time is is not the person that you're seeing now. Right. That this is this is something that just happened. It just popped up. And, and surely it's going to go back to how it was and everything is going to be just fine. And you believe that just long enough for it to happen again. Mm -hmm. And so as this is happening to you, it's I'm sure unbelievable and as you said out of character but it's starting to happen uh, more and more often. Um, let me bring in a clinical psychologist uh, Dr. Antoinette Thomas uh, who's an associate professor at the University of Virginia in counselor education and clinical and school psychology and Dr. Thomas's research focuses in particular on the effects of domestic violence on the children. Uh, Dr. Antoinette Thomas thanks so much for being with us on the program today and welcome back actually to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Great, thank you. It's nice to be back with you again. Yes, thank you. And Dr. Thomas, so you're, you're hearing Felisa's story, um, her account of how her relationship started out, um, as she put it, sunshine and roses, uh, mm -hmm. was a whirlwind, escalated quickly, and then very suddenly turned to violence. Uh, he won back her trust, um, but it happened again. How common is that pattern in, in domestic violence? That is so very common. That's what, in my work with um, children and families and talking to mothers, uh, and by the way, I'm so glad that you acknowledged early on that, that men also can be victims. But as we know, it's mostly women. Uh, but we hear this story and this kind of pattern all the time, how the, there's romance, um, they move very quickly into kind of luring you in, um, you begin, there begins to be love and trust, and then you begin to see these incidents that you, the, the, the victim, says, oh, this is an exception. This is not how they typically are. Um, and so you just kind of turn your head and, you know, say, this is just an exception. Um, and it'll get better. It'll get back to the way they were or how I see them. So um, this is a very, very common scenario mm -hmm. that we hear. And so there might be folks who are listening right now who are going through this very thing and maybe wondering, you know, what should I do about it? Is it me? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? And so right. we do want to encourage them. Uh, we'll talk throughout the program about uh, signs and what to do and how to help if you have a friend or family member who you suspect mm -hmm. or you know is experiencing this. Now, Felisa, you have a son. Yes. And how old was he at the time of this relationship? At the time, he was nine, nine. so it was mm -hmm. um, from the time of uh, nine to about 13. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Dr. Thomas, um, we'll talk more uh, in the next segment about the effects on the children, but for now, um, these violent incidents don't go unnoticed by the children, right. as right. a parent may want to think. Um, mm -hmm. that, can you talk a little bit about that, that, that sure. they're observing yeah. this violence? That's, that's so true. So... Um, the children often witness what's going on, uh, and sometimes they are also victims as well. Mm -hmm. The perpetrator will also uh, abuse the, the children. And what we see most often with children is that they think that they are the blame, that their mom is being abused because of something that they have done. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then they they don't quite understand it. Of course, it depends on, you know, the age of the child, but they don't really understand what's happening. Uh, but often we see that they think that they are the ones that have caused this, and then they begin to experience a lot of 
guilt okay. around it. And we'll get more, delve more into that, and Felisa will hear um, what happened in, in your family and with your son. Uh, and how old is he today? He is a grown man grown today. man today, yes. so uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, you do cite in your book, Felisa, that most domestic violent incidents go unreported. And um, we can all stand by and listen to your story and say, well, I would never let that happen to me. I'm sure, you know, there are people thinking that who are listening. But it really isn't so simple. Um, as this escalated, and it clearly the incidents started happening, happening closer and closer together, what, um, what kept you in the relationship? And, and um, you know, I, I, under, I recognize the real question should be, why does a person... Um, batter someone they say they love. That's really the question, but we don't have that that person with us today to ask. And so I know the question is on everyone's mind: Why don't you call the police? What what was talk about that? We just have about two minutes left. Um, I actually did call the police um, after I believe it was the second time that okay. he struck me. Okay. Um, they they I actually left the apartment, ran to a neighbor's house, and called the police. Uh, the police came. Um, he was arrested. Unfortunately, my interaction uh, at the time with the police, um, he seemed to, he was really more concerned with the, the fact, and it was a direct quote, um, that you're too pretty to be going through something like this. That's what the police told you. And wow. it was very disheartening because I, I wanted resources. I wanted some suggestions and some protection, and, and that's not what I got. Um, and, of course, he was released uh, from jail just hours, mm -hmm. just hours later. And came back home. And came back home, you. and, of course, the... the you know, the honeymoon phase began again. Mm -hmm. And so over time, we'll talk about how it, how finally you did um, leave or have him leave. And um, the, the abuse finally stopped. But a lot happened before that final time. Uh, so we'll talk about that when, when we return. I'm speaking with Felisa Jack, and she's the author of the book Pursued. Uh, we also have on the line clinical, clinical psychologist and associate professor of counselor education and clinical and school psychology at the University of Virginia, Dr. Antoinette Thomas. And we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll learn more about the specific effects of domestic violence uh, when the children are also the target of the violence, not just uh, witnessing the violence. And how do we help someone that we suspect is going through this? Stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 security consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. What if a psychologist with years of experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided effective strategies for experiencing lasting change? 
That's exactly what you get with Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares critical insights to help you understand and overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Peg clearly communicates fundamental principles and strategies for change and personal transformation. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com slash books to purchase your copy today. Studies show that safety greatly impacts student learning and a teacher's ability to do what they do best. Be it broken furniture, a leaking roof, or more serious threat of violence, the 21st Century Safe School by School Specialty addresses school safety from the emotional, social, and physical perspective. Don't wait another moment. Call 877-878-5800 or visit ssiguardian.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guests today are Felisa Jack, author of the book Pursued, as well as University of Virginia clinical psychologist and associate professor of psychology, uh, Dr. Antoinette Thomas. Uh, Felisa, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. And how can listeners connect with you and purchase your book and learn more about your ministry? My book is um, on Amazon. Okay, great. So you can just, um, the title is kind of long. It's Pursued, uh, a Testimony of God's Relentless Love. Um, but if you type in my name, Felisa okay. B. Jack, I'm the only one. All right. So it definitely will come up. Um, there um, is a, an email address that I have, which is um, precious to him. Um, at gmail.com. Okay, great. And I'll have a link to you on my website as well. And Dr. Antoinette Thomas, thanks again for being with us all the way from Charlottesville, Virginia. How can listeners learn more about your work at UVA? Um, They are um, welcome to just get in touch with me directly, and I am happy. There are a number of resources available, and I can direct them to them. Okay, great. And I have a link as well to you at UVA on my website. Listeners, you can go to drpegradio.com. And if you'd like to share this interview with a friend or check out my program archives, um, please feel free to do that. Also, if you'd like to join our conversation today or ask a question, give us a call at 303-477-5600. And Felisa, before the break, we were talking about how the, the um, abuse got closer together, but you actually did call the police after the second time that happened, didn't get a a response that was um, really um, empathic and understanding from the police. They did remove him from uh, the home, but he was released in a few hours, went through that honeymoon phase all over again, which is very common, um, but the abuse didn't stop. But you wanted to talk about um, calling the police. That yeah. Interaction. Um, I, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on um, that first time that I called, and certainly it wasn't um, what I had, had hoped um, inside, I think you just, you hope that somebody will just take him away forever, mm. um, and that he won't come back, but he did. Um, but I did call the police or I, I threatened to call the police, um, another time that it had happened. He, at that point in time was so emboldened that he actually picked up the phone, mm. um, as if to strike me with it. And he asked me very menacingly, do you really want the phone? 
Um, I quickly decided that I certainly didn't want it in the manner in which he wanted to give it to me. And, and that was the beginning of that fear that goes with that power and control. And that's, that's very stifling for um, a lot of victims mm -hmm. who, who, you know, people say, just call the police, just call the police. But you're not on the other side and you're not looking at right. that person who is, is very threatening um, and, and has every intention of hurting you. Mm -hmm. And in speaking with other uh, survivors of domestic violence and also called, referred to as intimate partner violence, um, they, they often the straw that breaks the camel's back where even despite the fear and control and even fear for their lives because they've been threatened, uh, when that violence turns towards the children, that's often when some um, survivors finally say enough is enough and they just take the risk to leave. Um, in the beginning, your son didn't uh, witness the abuse, uh, but then that did change as well. Can you talk about that? Um, uh, there was an incident you wrote about in your book where uh, he told your son that when he messed up, meaning yes. your son, that you, Felisa, would get it. Uh, yes. And can you talk about that? Yes, yes. Um, up until that point, my son had never witnessed any violence. Certainly, children are very intuitive, and he knew that something wasn't quite right, and, and he became very protective of me. So I didn't really experience my son um, feeling responsible for the situation, but more stepping into a role as, as my protector. Um, this particular day, um, he he was always instructed to, to let someone know where he was going to be. Um, he was very responsible even then. I didn't really worry about that personally. However, um, my abuser did, and he was very strict about that. And, and so he had voiced to me that uh, my son had not let him know where he was going to be. And then my uh, son walked in the house at uh, just about that point in time. Um, and, and, you know, was very apologetic, um, sorry, I mean, you know, and, and very nervous and could pick up the tension mm -hmm. in the room. Um, and then uh, that it was at that point in the midst of the conversation that he just turned to me and just backhanded me to the floor in front of my son. And that's what he told him. He said, you know, when, when you mess up, she's going to get it. And up until that point, I felt like I had been able to kind of manage the situation so that my son wasn't really um, directly affected by it, but that day certainly changed it for both of us. Mm -hmm. and, and Dr. Antoinette Thomas, you work with families and mm -hmm. in particular the children living right. in um, domestic violence situations. Um, what can you tell us about um, in, in your research, uh, how that affects a child, the kind of scenario um, that Felisa's um, son experienced and, and may not have affected him this way specifically, mm -hmm. but in your research, right. what, what are some things that can happen there? <clears throat> Well, we, we notice that there are a number of different kind of effects that this can have on children. Um, first, the one that's probably the most obvious are the behavioral and emotional effects. So we will see pretty typically anxiety and depression um, in children, uh, low self-esteem, difficulty making friends and social skills. Um, you know, what, what they're seeing is a uh, poor way of coping and resolving conflict. So they begin to repeat those patterns, and that actually becomes a normal way of interacting and solving conflict for them. So you see those kinds of issues in their uh, relationships with friends and others, so then in addition to the behavioral and emotional impact, there's also the cognitive impact. 
so we'll see difficulties with problem solving. There'll be poor academic performance, um, difficulties concentrating, uh, inattention at school. Um, so those things are going on, and and then red flags begin to you know um, appear at school. Uh, teachers will say there's something going on. This child seems really anxious and nervous and uh, isn't getting much sleep. Is coming to school and falling asleep at school, and so there are just a host of behaviors that we may see. And sometimes it actually looks like post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, for these kids because of some of the trauma that they've experienced. And I, I also wanted to just add that we also know from the research that kids who witness this very early on. Um, from birth to five, actually, for them, it has more of a significant impact than it might when they're a little bit older um, because of the type of relationships that they are forming, you know, attachment issues, uh, relationships with a, a parent, and if they're not getting the sense of security and safety and consistency during that time, uh, we know that it can have a significant impact on their relationships later on. Mm -hmm. And so um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Felisa, your son was nine from the age of nine to 13. Mm -hmm. And you stated in this one incident that you described that your son, when he walked in, he could feel the tension mm -hmm. in the room, even though he had never been harmed himself and you had tried your best to kind of contain what was happening to you. Um, how much of what Dr. Thomas shared resonates with you or, or you can see some of those same effects in your household? Um, I, I don't know if we were just kind of uh, um, the opposite of that. Um, my son was um, he, not the most social. He's very, very intellectual, very cranial. And, and I would have to say um, he turned a lot of that inward, um, but in a good way. He just really became uh, kind of a bookworm, really researching things and just learning a lot. And I think that that's kind of the shell that he put around himself, especially since uh, my abuser wasn't prone to um, outbursts. Um, in public or around other people. So he wasn't hitting walls or throwing furniture or anything like that. It was it was much more subtle and definitely um, behind closed doors. And so when I say that he could sense that, there was this tension that would be in the house. So even though he hadn't seen any of um, those outbursts or the direct effects of it or things like that, he certainly could pick up on that. Mm -hmm. um, he um, didn't, he, he did well in school. Um, and, and he was he was still pretty pretty social, although I will say that he began to spend less and less time away from home. Um, when he was younger, he would go to my mom's house and he'd be there so often. I used to tease her. I was like, can I get visitation rights to see my son, you know? Um, but in, during this period of time, he stopped doing that. And, and I know he was just afraid right. that something would happen to yeah, me and very protective. Mm -hmm. and, and he didn't mm -hmm. want to have friends over because even though he didn't see things happen, Something just wasn't right, and, and he just didn't know, yeah. you know, what might break out. Yes. I had a guest on my program um, who had been the victim of domestic violence, and she said even the dog in their home kind of sensed the tension and that. the unease when the abuser would come back into the home. Yes. And so, um, Dr. Thomas, um, that just the environment really shifts. Again, even if, right. if, if the parents can do a good job of sheltering the child from, mm -hmm. from seeing 
Um, mm -hmm. The whole environment shifts, but we know uh, children can witness the abuse not just by seeing it, but they may hear right. things going on. Right. Uh, there right. are extreme cases mm -hmm. where they may be used even as a weapon or as a shield between mm -hmm. the, you know, the parties, uh, may right. be taken hostage right. by the abusing mm -hmm. parent, mm -hmm. um, may be used to spy on the other parent oh, uh, yes. by the abuser, yeah. mm -hmm. or even to participate mm -hmm. in the abuse. Um, right. that, those are some really extreme situations that um, right. I'm sure you've seen in your research really are detrimental for children. They, they are very detrimental. <clears throat> and, and what you just mentioned are more the extreme. And I just wanted to to go back to something that Ms. Jack just said about her son and, and the situation. And it's, you know, we do know that as um, children are a little bit older, it's more likely that they can be resilient. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned a couple of things that seemed key to me, and that was uh, sounds like he spent some time at his grandmother's house, and so he was able to, to get away um, and be in another environment that, probably felt safer to him. Mm -hmm. um, and also, she I noticed that she used the word, he shielded himself. So mm -hmm. he engaged mm -hmm. himself in other activities and sounds like, you know, he's a, he's a thinker and, and could uh, find things to stimulate himself cognitively. And those are really um, great things. Those are the kinds of things that we encourage um, parents being able to help their children achieve. Uh, to help them combat some of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. Yeah, and so that resilience and the coping right. strategies, mm -hmm. um, the scientists talk about, psychologists talk about problem-focused coping versus emotion-focused coping. We may not be able to mm -hmm. solve the problem, but we can re resolve how we cope with it emotionally, how we respond to it. Right. Well, talk about, uh, Dr. Thomas, the, the aftermath of abuse. It's not just about witnessing or even becoming a victim uh, for the children or the adults in the home who are, who are being abused, but there's the aftermath. Even once the abuse has stopped, there are injuries. Um, some people have to relocate. Um, uh, one of the parents gets arrested. How, how does that affect the children? Well, you know, um, there's, there's often that lack of stability, again, because they have to get out of the home, um, so a, the living situation may change. Sometimes it means that they're in a shelter, um, and even though they're in a shelter and they feel relatively safer, there's still the fear that the perpetrator may find them, you know, and come back, so the fear may not go away. Um, they may have to change schools, so now you have a different educational environment and a different set of friends. Perhaps you don't have the support the community support or the family support that you may have had. Um, so all of these transitions and this lack of stability um, can be really difficult on children. And then we also see some increases in physical uh, or the lack of physical health. Um, kids become sick. Um, they develop chronic illnesses. Again, we may see the increases in anxiety and in depression. So all of those things can be part of the aftermath of, of witnessing the abuse and mm -hmm. the violence. And Felisa, can you share from your personal experience what, what that was like in the aftermath of he was arrested? Um, at some point, um, did the abuse stop or did you, did you leave? Did he leave? What were some of the other effects beyond the actual incidents as things were um, changing and transitioning? And, when, and transitioning out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's a lot like um, 
even as um, as it's already been said, it was a lot like PTSD. Mm. Um, there are scars that, of course, you you can't see. Um, there were things I one during one incident. Um, he he broke my nose. Mm. Um, so there were there were some very clear things, but upon um, making the decision to leave, um, even getting into that safety um, and being in a safe place, there still was that anxiety. Uh, there was still a residue mm -hmm. of the things that had happened. And so loud voices um, or neighbors shouting, doors being slammed, um, those types of things that other people did. Um, affected us. Mm -hmm. It still affected us um, greatly. And, and both of you, not just you, your son as well, you saw that those kinds of sudden loud noises affected him as well. Absolutely. And so we kind of um, silently agreed how to, to support each other during that time when it was just he and I. Um, we were very careful uh, not to slam doors and, and to certainly appreciate the peace that we had. Mm -hmm. And, and to, to kind of take notice, you know, if I would see if the neighbors across the way would start to yell and scream. I mean, he would just kind of tense up. We both would. Um, and you have to take that moment and really um, focus on um, really tracing where that comes from, you know, and, and embracing how you feel. Mm -hmm. And then erasing that emotion um, for, for me, for us, it was with the word of God and, and what God had to say about it. But you have to go through those steps. Otherwise, you just kind of hold that all in, and it just gets bottled up, and it never it never finds a release or a resolution. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure uh, Dr. Thomas can give us some, some insight on that, and we'll talk more about that in our next segment. Before we go to break, we have about two minutes. Talk about kind of the turning point for where, where finally you were able to get free and to be safe. Uh, how did that unfold? It actually was not quite as I planned. Um, I, I did decide that I wanted to, to make a plan to leave. It was very difficult because he was always present. He always wanted to be around me. He always wanted to know where I was, things like that. But I decided that I was going to open a little account and squirrel away some money as best as I could um, to, to get out of the situation. Um, what ended up happening was that I was in a, I was in a car accident. Um, I was charged with a DUI. I was forced to get clean and sober. Um, and without having the mask of drugs and alcohol to, to cover the pain, um, to forget about the pain, it was really like waking up in the middle of a nightmare. And, and, I, and I saw what my life had become. And um, I confronted him about it. And the night that I decided to leave, um, he actually had left and he called me. I, in retrospect, remember making a bunch of goodbye phone calls, if you will, saying mm. if something happens to me, um, it's because I'm leaving. And he called me and he threatened me and uh, I said, well, just come on then. And, um, and I, I was prepared uh, to do whatever it took. Um, and we'll learn more about that uh, when we come back from the break. I'm speaking with Felisa Jack and she's the author of a new book, Pursued about her experience surviving domestic violence. We also have on the line from University of Virginia, clinical psychologist and associate professor, uh, Antoinette, Dr. Antoinette Thomas. And so when we return, we'll learn more about how Felisa was able to get out of that violent situation and find peace and safety for herself and her son. Stay with us, we'll be back.
Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join me for a one-day, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com retreat. our breath there. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. I'm speaking with author Felisa Jack, and her book is called Pursued, and it's about her uh, journey and um, surviving and, and just the hope and peace that she now has as, as a survivor of domestic violence. I also have on the phone from the University of Virginia, clinical psychologist and associate professor of counselor education and clinical and school psychology, Dr. Antoinette Thomas. And thank you both so much for being here with me today. If you'd like to connect with either Felisa or Dr. Antoinette Thomas, or if you'd like to share this interview with a friend, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. Uh, so Felisa, um, before the break, you were saying that things kind of really took a turn when you uh, got into a terrible car accident and were charged with a DUI. Yes. And so during the break, we were talking about how common it, it is for folks who are um, just trying to get through the day, being mm -hmm. battered and abused and terrorized yes. and emotionally abused and seeing their children in some cases also being abused. And certainly the children are witnessing all this, even if they are unharmed physically. Uh, and it wouldn't be uncommon to turn to drugs and alcohol. To We talked earlier about coping for children, mm -hmm. coping strategies for children. And here you were in an attempt to just kind of manage the pain and everything you were going through turned to drugs and alcohol. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and part of that uh, became a almost a tool for me because if I could get him drunk enough, mm. even drinking with him, that he would pass out and I wouldn't have to deal with him. Wow. I wouldn't have to deal with him that night. Um, and then of course, you know, that's only a temporary fix. I mean, mm -hmm. it comes back around um, again and again, but that was, that was, 
kind of my my weapon and something that that I used and something that I used as a protection for me mm -hmm. to just kind of block all that out and, and shut it out and not have to sit, really sit in it and sit with it and really look at what was going on in my life. Mm -hmm. I talked about uh, making those goodbye phone calls. Um, that particular evening, um, before he came back home, like I said, he had called me um, and threatened me. I told him that I, I needed to leave. Um, our relationship was toxic. Um, at that point in time, I'd been, you know, uh, charged with the DUI, so I was forced to get clean and sober, as I said. Um, prior to him getting to the house, um, I remember pacing, uh, pacing the floor, just kind of waiting. I just had had it. I just had had it. I don't. I didn't know what I was going to do or or anything like that. But in the midst of pacing the floor back and forth, just waiting for him to walk in the door, um, I I heard I heard the voice of God for the first time in my life. Um, mind you, I was not in relationship with God, not going to church, not any of those things, which really is a testament to His great mm. love for His people. And He said, "Get out." Mm. And initially, I thought that I was having a breakdown, that I was hearing things, and mm. and I stopped. And He said it again. And, and it was like a fog lifted. And I realized that at some point I'd gone in the kitchen and got a butcher knife. And I was actually waiting on him to come through the door. So I don't have any doubt in my mind that that night someone would have would have probably died. Um, but I did heed the voice of the Lord. I put the knife away and, and I got out. I went down to a neighbor's and asked if they could take me and my son immediately to my mom's house. And and that's that's how we end up leaving. So so much for the plan to yeah. have a bank account yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Um, you, well, and and uh, in your book you talk a lot about you know God's relentless pursuit for you, mm -hmm. and um, that uh, He drew you out of that dangerous situation. Uh, you said that um, someone was going to die that night, and and doc Dr. Antoinette Thomas, um, that is not an exaggeration, or that's not hyperbole, is it? That's not yeah. unusual for uh, someone to die in a domestic right. violence situation. Right. That is not um, unusual. And, um, you know, we have statistics about the, the number of people who are killed um, mm -hmm. in, during these incidents. And, um, I, you know, I think I was sharing with you recently that um, just a couple of weeks ago here in Charlottesville, um, you know, we had someone who, uh, a couple and a young woman was killed mm -hmm. as a result of some, you know, domestic violence. So it, that, it's not unusual to hear that someone is seriously injured or they are killed. Yes, and, and I don't know the stats, but I know many, in particular women in prison, it's yeah. often drugs or murder. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we know that domestic mm -hmm. violence plays a role in both of those. And so, right. again, um, Felisa, thank you for being so transparent and sharing your story, writing your book, because really this message is about saving lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you finally were able to leave. Um, and uh, um, you talked already a little bit about um, having some peace in your new home, and mm -hmm. but still kind of maybe having some even signs of post-traumatic stress, yes. kind of that hyper-vigilance, hyper-startle response, and really um, kind of on high alert and listening for things. Mm -hmm. um, but your your peace didn't last um, very long until this man, you call him Michael in the book, showed up again. Right, right. Um, I had moved and, and, and got my place and everything, um, and really had started to um, go to church, a friend uh, reconnected with me that I'd lost touch with. 
um, many, many years. I still don't know to this day how she found me. Mm. Facebook um, probably, right? No, <laughs> no. We didn't even, it wasn't even prevalent. Um, but she, she did and invited me to church. And so I really, really started um, on this journey with God um, and was just very much riding high on the love of the Lord and and on the, the grace and the peace um, that he had shown to us. And so I, I got a phone call. This was, was months uh, after I had left. I got a phone call from Michael. Um, uh, shortly prior to that, he offered, because when I left, I left everything. Mm-hmm. I left, you know, everything. Uh, went back the next day, just got our clothes, and, and that was it. So he wanted to repay me for the utilities and things like that, which he did without incident. So fast forward to some several months later, he called me, and he just needed a place to stay for a week. They were fumigating his apartment. Um, and, and again, I just was... Uh, uh, a babe in the Lord and, and very much just just feeling love, just love um, and, and healing and forgiveness. And, and I agreed to let him stay with me for a week. And, and I, you know, I know people are like, no. Hindsight is 2020. Yes. Hindsight is like, didn't he have anywhere else he could stay when his apartment was being fumigated? And, you know, I didn't even, I just, just giddy, just giddy with the love of the Lord and, and definitely not um, operating any wisdom. Uh, you had said while we were on break, you know, if you feel the Holy Spirit leading you, uh, you certainly want to follow that. But I, I have to admit, I, I, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I was, I was just ignorant, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, allowed him to stay with me for a week. Um, went the whole week without incident. Uh, when I came home Friday, I could feel it mm-hmm. as soon as I walked in the door. Um, before I even came around the corner, um, my stomach clenched, my heart started racing, and I just thought, no, no, this can't be happening again. And I came around the corner, and he was sitting in a chair uh, looking every bit like the demon he was. Um, and I tried to make light of the day. You know, I came in just kind of, you know, hi, you know, wow, so glad it's Friday. And, and he just stared at me, just glared at me. Um, didn't really say a whole lot through the evening. Had dinner, waited on my son to go to bed, and then and then he began. Um, you know, haven't I been good all week? Why can't we be together? You know, I love you. We belong together, and and it just it just went on and on and on. And and I stood my ground and I said, I I can't. You know, it's toxic. I've been somebody's girlfriend or somebody's wife all of my life, and I need this time alone. I need this time away from you. We're not good for each other. Um, he, somewhere in the midst of the conversation, uh, grabbed me around the throat uh, and choked me. Um, the next thing I remember uh, is him shaking me back awake, and shortly thereafter, my son was coming up the hallway to the kitchen, and I realized that he had heard him stirring, and that's what prompted him to stop. Um, my son got up to get some water, um, and, you know, he allowed him to, he went back to bed. Um, but I think being concerned that it might happen again, he, he then forced me um, back into my bedroom. He asked me where my knives were, and I thought, you know, this is it. You know, this is it. Uh, forced me back into my bedroom, pushed me on the bed, and began that tirade again. And he said, if I, if, if I killed you now, you'd be by yourself, wouldn't you? And, and honestly, I... I thought about being with God and being with Jesus, and, it, and I know it probably seems crazy, but I, I really didn't have any fear at that point. And I just looked at him and I said, no, I wouldn't. And I, I don't know what happened in that moment. I don't know what God did. I can only describe it as divine intervention. Um, he seemed rooted to the place that he was in um, and, and couldn't move. So while he continued to rant and rave all through the night, 
mind you, my alarm, my morning alarm went off when this was still going on. Um, but he just, it was like invisible arms were holding him mm. and, he, and he couldn't get to me. So I, I'm thankful for that. Right. And so he left? In the morning? You know, I I had to, um, because of the, the program I was in in regard to the DUI, I had to go to classes that morning. And I said, well, I you know, mm. my alarm's going off. I turned it off and I said, I need to go take a shower. And he's like, so go do it. And I thought, well, I don't really want to be down in the shower. It's not, mm. you know. Um, but I went in very tre trepidatiously, you know, and kind of looking over my shoulder and, and everything. But when I, I came out, he was still standing in the exact same spot. Um, I got dressed, got my things, and, and I said, let's go. And it was like he was suddenly released and let go and uh, left the house. And it, it may have been enough to, to terrify him because I never heard from him again. Um, and, and that was the end of that. Mm -hmm. And so to this day, never heard from him again, haven't spoken I, to him? No, I didn't hear from him for many, many years. Um, I ran into him at the grocery store. Uh, I didn't. I, I could tell it was him from behind, um, and he was kind of bobbing, and I thought, oh, no, and, and he's drunk, and I tried to, you know, make a beeline to my car, um, which I did. Um, at that point in time, God, God really impressed upon my heart that, that we can never, ever overcome the things that we won't confront, whether that's confronting it um, through a letter or a note or, or prayer or um, devotion or however, um, this particular situation needed to be in and was set up to be in person. Mm -hmm. And, and I was, I was able to face him without fear and without intimidation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and our interaction, uh, was, was short and sweet. He asked about my son and I told him he was doing very well. He at that time was in mechanic school and he said, you must be very proud. And, um, introduced me to his, his new girlfriend, whom I immediately felt very sorry for, and um, and, and we parted ways. Mm. And so no no fear today to, to have released a book, uh, being on the radio, um, he could be listening even now, mm -hmm. uh, but you're walking free from fear. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and I have to look at it. You know, the Bible says that God works all things to the good of those who love him, and I, and I have to look at what I went through as, as going through it for somebody else. Because there's nothing like having somebody look you in the face and say, I know what you're feeling and I know what you're going through and being able to speak from a place of experience um, and not just knowledge, but really a place of experience. And that enables me to reach women and to touch women mm -hmm. in, a, in a very different and very real way. Right, right. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I read in your book that you also spoke with him. He, he opened up about his background and mm -hmm. things that he had gone through that uh, I don't know that it's ever... Uh, an excuse for mm -hmm. being violent towards someone else, but it gave you some compassion and insight into his behavior as well. Absolutely, absolutely. My prayer was um, that God would would give me something, show me something, a way to forgive, because I knew that if I didn't, I would be bitter and angry for the rest of my life, and I didn't want that. And that's not the model that I wanted to set for my son either. Um, and so I, I asked God to, my, I'm a very compassionate person, and I said, I, I have to see some compassion somehow in order to be able to forgive him. And that's what he did. And, and so he began to, uh, we were sitting out on the, my patio, this was before that last night, and he began to share with me how he had suffered, uh, him and his brother's abuse at the hands of his father and his uncle, um, not just physical abuse, but sexual abuse as well. And I, I began to really see that scared little boy who who he felt like his mom didn't help him, mm -hmm. but she was being abused as well. But as a child, of course, he couldn't couldn't reconcile those two things together. All he knew is that he wasn't protected. Mm -hmm. 
and he had had suffered greatly. Yes. And so, Dr. Antoinette Thomas, that kind of brings us back to what you were sharing with your research is how growing up in this violent type of home, observing it or even being a victim yourself as a child really can... Um, we know not every person who's abused becomes an abuser, but we see how that right. cycle does continue. Right, exactly. And, you know, one of the statistics that we know is that boys in particular who witness domestic violence are two times as likely to abuse their partners and children when they become adults. Um, and, and we know that for girls as well that witnessing uh, abuse uh, leads to difficulties in, you know, relationships even as early as adolescence when they begin to be involved in um, dating and, and having partners. Um, and so it's, it's a really tough cycle to break. Uh, and again, you know, what happens is when it's seen in the home, kids begin to think that this is normal and this is how it's supposed to be, and this is how you go about um, solving conflict. And so part of breaking the cycle is teaching um, young children what healthy relationships look like. Um, it's teaching them how to be more assertive uh, and speaking up, uh, not being passive, not just sort of taking it when they're being treated in a way that doesn't feel right. Um, to them, mm -hmm. and um, there there are a whole host of things that we try to do with kids in terms of giving them tools to survive when they're in the situation, when they're in the home. Um, just a, a minute ago, Miss Jack was saying, you know, she she heard the words of God saying, "Get out," and that's what we teach kids when they're in a situation they need to get out or get away or have a safe place that they can go to. Um, and so there, there are a number of strategies that we try to teach children when they're in the household and they're witnessing something. Okay, and, and, and Dr. Thomas, I'm going to have to interrupt you there. Uh, we're running out of time. Uh, but there, there is help. There are, there are resources is what I'm taking away from what you're sharing. Right. Absolutely. Right. And right. Um, Felice, I'm going to give you kind of the last, <laughs> the last words here um, to just talk about um, what you'd like to leave listeners with. And in particular, if there's someone listening who suspects a loved one or family member is going through what you've been through, or they are the person going through this, uh, what would you like to share with them? And we have about a minute left. Um, I would say the first thing is to just be aware, to be aware. Um, if you know someone is going through it, and most often people do know that you are, ask the hard question because they're not going to just come out and admit it. And ask, and then just let them know that you're there for them without judgment. Um, they really need that, especially in the isolation mm -hmm. um, of domestic violence. And I want to say that even if you are um, not in an abusive situation, you could find yourself in a situation at a friend's house or something where it could all come up. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to be aware and know the signs. Great. And great. I just want to give a quick shout out to my pastor, okay. Pastor Monica Hawkins of Rivers of Living Water Fellowship. Thank you so much for your love and support. And Felisa Jack, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your message of hope with our audience. And Dr. Antoinette Thomas, thank you again for sharing your expertise. Uh, my yeah. guests have been Felisa Jack and Dr. Antoinette Thomas, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Peg. 
For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.